Welcome to Nesson Dorma, your regular chat about 80s and 90s football. I am Lee Calvert, your host, and this week we're concentrating on matters off the pitch, mostly, as we have a chat about football on television. Television, or my uncle used to call the television the shit pump. <laughs> that's true. That turn the shit pump off when he comes to bed. He used to say. Anyway, so that's completely irrelevant, but that's just, that just sprung to my mind. To help me along with this journey down memory lane, we have with us uh, returning once again. Thank you very much for your time. It's uh, Rob Bagchi. Hi, Rob. Hi, Lee. Good evening. And also joining us once again is the author of the still fabulous book, the title, the story of the first <laughs> division, is Mr. Scott Murray. Hello, Scott. Hi, Lee. Here's a go. All of you listening out there, you can get in touch with this podcast on Twitter at Nessundormapod. There's also email, which is contact at nessundormapod.com. There's a website, con- uh, which is nessundormapod.com. And, I don't know, search on Google. You'll find other stuff as well, I imagine. Uh, because you already listened to this, you probably already know this, but I'll remind you anyway, we are available on iCast. We are available on Apple Podcasts. And wherever else you can stick our RSS. So if you put, again, search in Google Ness and Dorma podcast, you get a plethora of options of where to listen to us and tell your friends and leave us a review. And that's great. Thanks very much. To start us off then on this journey through footballing TV history, I've got a little bit of a theme tune quiz. Now, how this is going to work, at least this is how it plans it's going to work, is that, Scott, you'll go first. Right, I'll play you okay. a theme tune. You have to guess what it is. Rob, you'll go next. We've got three each, and we'll see how we go. I've then got a tiebreaker as well if it gets really, if it gets you know neck and neck. Does so, the quiz itself have a theme tune? <laughs> no, I might. <laughs> Damn, I knew there was something I should have picked up on. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> let's go with the first one. I'm, I'm hoping the first two will ease you in a little bit. So the first one for you, Scott. Name this tune. I'll play about thirty seconds <laughs> of it. What's that one, Scott? That is one of the all-time classics, I think. It's it's one of the sort of early 80s big match themes. It is. I think. It is the theme used on the big match from 1980 to 1986, uh. composed by um, War of the Worlds man, Mr. Jeff Wayne. Yes. Yeah, one of the classics. So that's one to you, Scott. Rob, you're next. I could be cheating with this one because it's not technically football, but still I had to play it because it's quite possibly <laughs> my favourite theme tune of all time. So this one's yours, Rob. Can you name that tune, Rob? That's Sports Nightly. Yes, it is Sports and, um, Night. Just waiting for Harry Carpenter's voice to start there, just just at the end. But, he does, uh, actually, yeah. He does on that clip that I've got. He does say, welcome to Sports Night. Tonight we've got football. What's he say at the end? It's, 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 it's football, hockey and something else. It's like a brilliant Sports <laughs> Night sort of intro. 
I think that the TV themes have taken a tremendous nosedive since they since the glockenspiel and horn section were not front and center. It's been a significant decline in sports themes. Well, I, I think you're right. They seem to put less less effort to them in these days. They just get a, a, a you know the latest pop single. That's probably not a phrase nowadays, is it? But but they you know they'll just pick one off the shelf. Whereas you know they used to sit down and write some bespoke themes. I mean, the Sports Night theme was written by Tony Hatch, who wrote the theme to Neighbours, who wrote Downtown by Petula Clark, Coronation Street. I, I think he wrote a song for Scott Walker, but I can't off the top of my head remember. <laughs> Which one? But so that's like the link between Scott Walker and uh, Harry Carpenter. Yeah, so I, I, do, I, I still think Sports Night is the greatest theme tune of all time, as I've just said. And that wonderful mm. thing about Sports Night of, you know, tonight we've got highlights of some England game, rally cross, <laughs> and something, some other random sport, yeah. Greyhounds. Yeah, yeah, always yeah. Greyhounds. Right, you can so always bank on Greyhounds. After round one, that's one all. So let's go into round two. This one is for you, Scott. What's that one? Does Rob get the chance to steal this? Well, he, this, he could do, yeah. I don't know. I'm literally making this up as I go along, so why I not? You know what? I'm I'm struggling here. But is it, and I can't even remember the name of the program, is it that school's sport um, game show thing with Ron Pickering? We are the champions. It's not, it? No, it's not. Yeah. Rob, uh, do you know which one it is? It doesn't. I mean, it sounds a bit like a later Saint and Greavesy, but I'm not 100%. It is Saint and Greavesy. That's Saint and Greavesy? Yes. Early Saint and Greavesy, I think. Pre the 86 World Cup theme they used, yeah. Wow. Yes. And, uh, well, I was going to ask you for a bonus point on that one because you know the bit in the the middle where, if you remember the Saint and Greavesy theme tune, that one, the the opening titles, the bit... There's a bit in the middle where it's a big timpani drum going boom in the middle. <laughs> and there's a goal that's scored in time with that and it hits a camera in the back of the net because it's, it's from behind. Can anyone remember what goal it was? Would that be Ian Rush's in the 86 Cup final? I think, I, I, you know what? I confuse me. I think, I, think it, I thought it was Norman Whiteside's goal in the 85 Cup final. But you could be right now. It could be Ian Rush. If there's a camera that goes, yeah, it's goes probably for a Burton, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's Rush because doesn't White Sides one comes in from the you, you see that goal from the other side? Camera. Yeah, it is from behind the goal. Cam- the camera does go. You're probably yeah. right, Scott. Yeah, so you get oh. a bonus point for that. So it's two all. You have no idea if it's right or not. <laughs> yeah. Now you see, you He's might have given some. I might have given you some. Who we on to? It's Rob's turn still, isn't it? Um, it is. You've already kind of given a bit of this away, me. You might have got this already, and it could be a confusing answer because two answers may be correct. So what's this one?
What was that one? That's the Mexico 86 World Cup theme for ITV. Correct. Um, it's also used by Satan Greavesy afterwards. Ah, that's where the confusion that's, that's came in, was it, Scott? From um, No, no, mine was just general ignorance and confusion. <laughs> I, I, I can't hide behind the, the canon of broad origins <laughs> to, uh, to, to, to weasel my way out of that one. Yes, you're right. That was the ITV 1986 World Cup theme, but was then subsequently used by Satan Greavesy. But I forgot that, hence the confusion in the uh, before. Now, Scott, I feel mm. sorry for you because this could be a tricky one. <laughs> What's, what is this? Can we give yourself a cluster headache with that one? So, what, <laughs> Scott, have you any idea what that one is? I have. That's um, the music that the BBC used for the 1982 World Cup, and it's some song or other from Cats by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Well, excellent knowledge. I didn't know that, but it is correct. Correct. The BBC 1982 Espanol World Cup theme. But I've just got that one linked in my head because I can see the title sequence going through my mind with, you know, Paolo Rossi running mm. around and Brazilians sort of looking equally ecstatic and then incredibly unhappy. Yeah. And and as you say, that climax, that that, that music <laughs> was, um, yeah, it was quite something. So and I, said, and I, I, I don't know why, it just like, it has absolutely, there was nothing Spanish about it, like a Spania 82. It doesn't sound Spanish. But no, it just it seemed to fit. Yeah. It just seemed to fit correctly. But it's one of those odd ones that they made no attempt whatsoever to sort of fit it to the the, the, the location of the <laughs> the tournament, which was strange. But it works. I don't know why. Maybe because I was nine. <laughs> I just accepted it as as what it is. So with three all, no pressure, Rob. If you get this, you've won. <laughs> so this is the final one, and it's only a little clip because they kept they used to talk over the top of it. It's probably an unfair clue, but basically this this is it. Any idea what that is? Well, I think there was a clue there in the yeah, forward, wasn't sorry, there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, so I'll steal that with it was it was um, it was. Uh, well, I suppose it was Super Sunday. They would have called it um, or. It was Ford Super Sunday, the first um, the first Sky shows uh, that came out in '92. I'm sorry to tell you that's incorrect, Scott. Do you want to steal that one? Huh. Um, I don't know. Well, with that, I, I mean, I've just been super cheeky here then and saying that it's the Monday night football. Correct. It's Monday night football's theme tune. Super Sunday was a slightly different one. That's an outrageous steal. <laughs> So, Sorry, Rob. So, 
right at the last minute there, I'm afraid that Scott has come in and, and, and nicked that one off your toe, which is probably a cruel thing for me. <laughs> I think that's a reflection of, of greater knowledge, so I think it's probably a fair result. <laughs> so 4-3, how, how did you get on out there when you played along? Could you guess a lot of them or not? Let us know at Ness and Dorma Pod. Now then, do you want to, shall we do the tiebreaker one for a laugh, just to, to guess this one? <laughs> this is what the tiebreaker one would have been. Anybody who gets it can shout it. All right, that's um, Elton Wellsby era match, isn't it? It is Elton Wellsby era, the big match on ITV, yeah. ITV tunes are always instantly recognisable by their slightly, I don't know what the word for it is, really. Bombastic? Yeah, mostly done on a keyboard. I think this is slightly different. BBC seems to pay a bit more money for their themes. I don't know what it was. Yeah, it's all it's all obviously like one like failed musician, you know, sort of middle aged guy on a <laughs> yeah. on a Yamaha DX twenty seven. Like the bloke out of Creme Brulee on League of Gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. The crap business, this, yeah. <laughs> right then, so before we crack in then, just want to thank you very much for that and I hope you enjoyed that playing along out there. Let's um talk about what's your earliest memory of football on TV. I'll start with mine because I've already tortured you to enough really with that. So the earliest memory of football on TV for me is probably, and I mentioned it before, the 1985 Cup final. I have vague memories, vague memories of, of, of Italy in 82, uh, sorry, Spain in 1982. Very vague memories. I remember more about the Panini album than actually what I saw on telly, which probably says something about because I was six at the time. But the 85 Cup final is one of the biggest memories that I have of football on the television. Mm. The whole whole day of it and the game itself. Just see, I remember it being a very big event. In my kind of young life, I suppose. What was yours then, Rob? Well, again, it was a cup final, but but much much earlier. It was it was seventy four um, <laughs> when I was um, seven. Um, so yeah, I I don't remember a great deal of it, but I remember Coleman and and his his eulogy of Keegan that day um, when <laughs> Liverpool beat Newcastle. Um, I remember the, the resonance of Coleman's voice, which was a huge part of, of football uh, back then uh, on the BBC. Um, I can't remember staying up late to watch Match of the Day for another couple of years, I think, but so it, it would have been those set-piece events. I don't remember the World Cup final that year, but I, I do remember the FA mm. Cup final. Scott? I mean, as I said, I can I can kind of remember the 82 World Cup on TV, but weirdly more of the, it's, it's actually the stuff in the studio that I can sort of remember rather than than watching any of the football. And also I have this sort of, an, um, this false memory syndrome thing of, I think I can remember the 1980 cup final, which would have been seven, but I can, but then I get it mixed in with, with the Ricky Villa goal. And obviously the Ricky Villa goal is a re looking back, it's a replay at night in the 80 cup final for me is a sunny afternoon. So I, yeah, I can sort of remember bits of um, fragments but got, yeah, it might be quite a bit later that it's like fully formed. Um, when I was a teenager, I guess, you know, um, maybe the sort of run into the 1986 mm. season. Um, everything else is all a wee, bit, a wee bit hazy. I often think it must be, I don't want this to turn into the cantankerous old bastards hour sort of thing, you know, because <laughs> it, which is, might be very easy to do with us all sat here. But, I think there's something. I wonder if the latest generation of people watching football, if you're 18 years old now, things always stick in their memory for me because they just weren't on very often. 
So, you know, there wasn't an event, and lots of people have said it, but it was the event nature of watching a live game on the television, even when the re- more regular stuff like the big match and everything like that. I mean, live football in particular just still seemed like such a massive event. It was European or it was a big cup final or it just seemed like a really big thing. And I wonder how, if you're 10 years old now, what your memory of watching football will be like. It's really hard to think of it, really. Yeah, there was that scarcity value, wasn't there? That that you would have one or two matches a season that that you could that you could watch. Um, and I mean, I think it's all for the better that you can have far more choice. Yeah, these of course, days. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I don't think that 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 there's that, that element of if big game now, everything just blends into much of a muchness. Yeah, and I think we'll probably talk about this later on as well. The voices. Now in football, and I mentioned this last week because we got on to talk about because John Motson's last commentary was the last week on the last episode that we, we recorded. You know, will people remember Guy Mowbray in the same <laughs> way that we remember John Motson or, or Barry Davis or or, Bri- or Brian Moore? Yeah, there's a there's a complete lack of sort of eccentricity, uh, a definition between all of these voices. Yeah, nothing against Guy Mowbray, you know, by a, the way. It's just that was just the first name that pops into my head. Yeah, no, but it is a real shame. I mean, I can I can pretty much pick out Martin Tyler when he comes on because mm. he's still quite distinctive. But I wonder if that's something again because he was brought up in that slightly older tradition of of having to sort of holler and shout on on um on ITV. I mean, I mean, the other thing about it is you were saying about the difference in generations that but sort of cantankerous old buggers like us, we were growing up in an era. But it was like all the, if you saw football on TV and there wasn't as much of it, and I agree with Rob, it's much better the way things are now, but it was coming through on terrestrial television. So when it was on, you watched it, your dad watched it, your mum watched it, your brothers and sisters and friends down the road watched it. Whereas it's all a little bit more, you know, there could be a big, huge Champions League match on, but it's squirreled away on BT Sport and Mm. it's... It's like you know, people might just see the clips on on YouTube or Twitter, which is again, it's it's a different thing, but it it means that there isn't that sort of common ground. You know, it's, it's the same thing that sort of means that programs like Markham and Wise don't exist, or you know, Top of the Pops or, or, or whatever. While we're talking about BBC and ITV, let's start off with this. You know, let's talk about BBC versus ITV back in back in those days. I suppose for me. The BBC has always been match of the day, pretty much all the way through. One of the facts I learned quite recently, and I think it's a fact, I hope I'm right, is that, you know, one of the things that makes David Attenborough even more of a national treasure is that he actually commissioned match of the day, didn't he? Did you hear that story? Sounds about right. Yeah, he was commissioner of BBC. BBC That's correct, yeah. And he actually decided, let's have this match of the day programme back in whatever year it was when it first started. So not only is he this safari-suited, gorilla-bothering, (laughs) planet-saving national treasure, he actually basically created probably the greatest footballing cultural institution on the television as well. Quite a remarkable man, really, and a remarkable programme. And I do sometimes think that there's something terribly British about the fact that everyone seems to love the BBC more than more than ITV. It's like why we all love Wimbledon so much as well, really. ITV is always seen as this kind of uncouth upstart, isn't it? That there's something kind of middle class and deferential about it generally, from my point of view. But what's your views on it, anybody? 
Well, I think it's the adverts primarily that, that, that <laughs> no, put you it's off. It's just a bloody advert, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. In the... Yeah, in the first place. I mean, I think they, ITV have taken a lot of stick for their coverage over the past 50 years. And yet, for a long time, most of it was pretty good. Um, obviously, uh, since they, when they won the contract um, more recently to have the Premiership and other things, uh, when they've had live um, rights to the FA Cup, they've made a complete, you know, horse's ass of it. But, but, but before that, when they when they did highlights when they did World Cup major irritant was the adverts, mm. and it's still the same now. It's that thing cutting away after the in the international games, cutting away after the adverts and all that kind of stuff. Just people just can't get the red. Even though people tend to not like pundits very much, they get very upset if you take up pundit time with adverts, don't they? It's a strange thing. Most people go, he talks a lot of crap here. Oh, God, you're going to the adverts. Surely you'd be happier to watch something, an advert, wouldn't you, rather than listen to it? Well, no, but so it's, it is kind of strange. Well, I think a lot of it depended on how you um, consumed or how you wanted to consume your sport because growing up, whenever ITV did football, it seemed much more, um, you know, sport as entertainment. So the, the panel on ITV, you know, obviously famously in... Um, Mexico 70, their 1986 one was pretty good with like Mick Shannon and Brian Clough and there were Kevin Keegan, I think it was Kevin Keegan on that one. They, they were certainly always arguing anyway. And but, but whereas the BBC always had this sort of veneer of it was slightly more, um, you know, serious journalism, someone like David Coleman would be, would be the presenter. Or, you know, even when uh, Des Lynham took over, he was he was very much a steady hand on the on the tiller, whereas ITV would be like Jimmy Hill in a cravat. <laughs> I am. Um, you mentioned in Shannon and Clough there. I can't remember what year it was. I think it was Euro 88 when Shannon and Clough were on. You might remember, uh, Scott. Um, where Mick Shannon was talking about hoofing the ball up and getting the ball more directly into the box and Clough was completely and utterly disagreeing with it. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 and Shannon was given this list of people that do it. He said, you know, he said, such a team does it. <laughs> And they do it, and Ireland do it, and Clough went, even educated fleas do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, he had this amazing, just his, his quick wit was absolutely, and I can't, I'm sure that was in 88, but it was, it's an absolutely amazing bit of quick classic Cloughism, really. But yeah, I mean, that your point's a good one in that Clough is absolute sort of football gold, isn't he? Or is it because, again, he was seen as that more entertaining loudmouth thing, Rob, do you think, that BBC still got this... Yeah, the amount of Clough are the best managers ever, but... Well, well Clough started BBC in the 70 World Cup and then uh, moved over to ITV and, and they made the best use of him, I think, um, particularly in that in that infamous game in 73, England versus Poland, he lambasted Tomaszewski at half-time, called him a clown, and then uh, he made the saves in the second half that, that, that kept England. Mm. He was the best pundit around. I mean, he, he made a very good team with, with Brian Moore on ITV. TV and they seem to hit it off um, off the field. They, sorry, away from the studio, and they seem to. He always seemed to know the right questions to ask him. Um, you see, later on in the eighties, and particularly, um, I, I had a, a, a one of those nightmare recalls from, from the past when I was thinking about saying Greavesy and. It's one of those things that most people have forgotten, but they did a sporting version of Question Time when Satan Greavesy was cancelled, and they, they had <laughs> cloth on that. Um, uh, just after he'd retired, but while he was still drinking. And uh, it, it, it was absolutely, I mean, it, you can't take 
your eyes off it. But it's pretty dangerous TV. I mean, he accuses um, he, he I think he calls uh, Alan Sugar a bearded spiv. Tells him to get a shave. Um, <laughs> Good God. Uh, loses the plot uh, over all sorts of things that have been said about him. But you know, in the seventies, the early eighties, when he did, I think he, he was always well prepared. He was always well travelled. Obviously, he always knew that he had an opinion. And I, I think I think what ITV always had in there the people who had stronger opinions, which seems a strange thing to say when you compare it with Jimmy Hill, who, you know, you could never shut up with his opinions, but but they had a broader range of voices on ITV. Yeah, you mentioned Jimmy Hill there. It's, I, I'm a bit younger than you two, and I, everybody hated Jimmy Hill, generally <laughs> in, my, in my circle as I was growing up. But I think it's because I only really remember starting to watch Match of the Day when it wasn't just him. And I remember then watching some reruns of Match of the Day going, oh, God, now I get it now, because he's just sat there monologuing his thoughts on things, which sometimes are right, sometimes are wrong, I suppose. But I understood then, oh, and then subsequently you understand why people tend to dislike him as well, however many people were around. But actually, there was something about him, because he was like he was directly into camera, wasn't he? Good doing oh, yeah, these yeah. massive he was, monologues, yeah. He was, he was in the pulpit ranting about... <laughs> You know some offside decision, or how you know how the game's going to the to the dogs. I mean, there's that famous clip of of Clough um, just ripping into John Motson and saying, "You have, you know, you people on television have to stop doing X, Y, and Z." I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, as you know, as much as I love uh, love Cloughy and and find and find Motty a bit irritating, I still thought, "Hey, you're going a bit strong on him here. Why are you doing that?" And it's only in retrospect when I then saw what like Jimmy Hill used to get up to on sort of late seventies match of the day, and you know these sort of tour de forces of opinion. You're thinking, Christ, yeah, I can I can sort of see Clough's Clough's point, but it was good TV, you know. Why you mentioned that? I've actually got a clip of that, so let's listen to Brian Clough not being very happy with John Motson. <laughs> and I think this, I think what you do to referees is nothing short of criminal. I do honestly. And I think the standard you feel that should be coming from referees at the moment is absolutely incredible. Because I have seen, I've worked in your industry a little bit as a layman, um, and I've looked at one of your machines 24 times and still couldn't get it right. And that's what you do. Yes, but I must take you up on one thing there, Brian. It, some, it quite frequently proves the referee right. I don't think it's fair to say that every analysis pillar is a referee by any means at all. I'm not interested whether it proves him right occasionally. <laughs> the point I'm making is that he makes a decision in five seconds or two seconds or one second or whatever it is. Yeah. In the heat of a moment with 22 players, with 30,000 people shouting and bellowing, all I'm saying is you don't make that point strongly enough. It should be overemphasised how hard it is to referee a match. I think. <laughs> so there you go. There's a sort of um, implied, sort of. There's a gentle threat in his voice all the way through that, isn't it? When you listen yeah, to that, that, if you get a clip of the whole interview, it's about, lovely. it's about five minutes long, and he's just being. The best way I could put it is he's just being really pissy, Clough, all the way through it in that brilliant Brian Clough way. That I'm just going to be completely dismissive of your presence. I'll tolerate you and give you all these questions, but he was. It's a brilliant interview if you if you get a chance to watch it all. Sorry, Scott. No, no, and it's uh, it's an argument that can kind of nail VAR as well. I think there's not there's not much difference 
to what you're saying there is to people who are saying video refs are a complete waste of time. My other energy. my other podcasting passion is I do a podcast about rugby called Blood and Mud and I've played rugby and watched rugby all my life and I'm coming to the conclusion that video referees are probably something that should be scaled back, not increased. It's becoming a mm. significant problem, but we're not here to talk about that right now. Uh, to go back to Jimmy Hill, this point about he was sermonising and that's why, like you've probably got good points, guys, that that's probably what Clough had in mind when he was saying it. The BBC versus ITV thing was never really an issue for a while. It's, well, it, it's not an issue for a lot of the time because they had different programmes and ITV didn't have match of the day, did they? So the versus was never really an issue. So when did it tend to raise itself? And you're looking at World Cups, aren't you, and European Championships. And did ITV always have the European football? I, I forget. Well, yeah, because they kind of kicked off all the European Cup coverage in the in the mid-50s. I mean, it was the reason that, like, uh, Manchester United got so big was because Granada had pretty much started broadcasting just as Man U played their first... You know, the Busby Babes were playing their first game in Europe. Um, so they just put that on TV and, to see if it would be popular. Um, and uh, and it was. And, yeah. and so, I mean, the European Cup's kind of always been on, on ITV, I think. I, I can't remember watching a match from BBC... But then, when the World Cup was on, if it's the FA or the FA Cup final or the World Cup final, you're always going to tune into BBC. It's weird if you would do ITV. It's odd. And to come back to that point, is that just the adverse? Then is it as simple as that, or is it something else? Well, there's a tone, isn't there? I think uh, that ITV always has, which is which is because they're trying to sell stuff to you. So it's the hype. There is a, an urgency in the way that they deliver. There is a strident see in the in the opinions um and I, I think that that's what has always differentiated it from the bbc but it's also it's also for a, a time felt more modern than the bbc i mean we i mean it's a long way back to ken wilson home but but he sounds so antediluvian now <laughs> and by 1970 when you when you marry his diction with those the vibrancy of those pictures coming from Mexico it just seems completely you know uh, there's a huge polarization between between what you're seeing this is the modern world and yet you've still got this post-war or, or even wartime um, diction and delivery yeah and it's a bit that point about the tone and Rob is a good one because one of the things you know it's about Sky when they first came on and I'm not one of these people who's anti-Sky or anything, but it was that thing. I remember when the first Monday Night Football came on, or was it super, one of the first episodes of Super Sunday we tuned in? It was on about four hours for kickoff, you know. And Richard Keyes just sat there going, oh, you know, you can feel the atmosphere building now. And it was Ipswich versus somebody else who was shit, you know. And it's kind of, and it was that there is something about, I mean, Sky took it to the next level in terms of that overselling because they were literally selling a product to you. You had to pay a subscription. ITV was kind of at least one step removed from that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean that 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 way that they they took that from America, didn't they? They, they decided to go the NFL route when they came, and they they had those ludicrous sky strikers, um, uh, you know, oh. seeing them at Portman Road or Boundary Park or Elland Road on a, on a, on a Monday yes. night, you know, it's just just <laughs> ridiculous. But they were but they the cheerleaders, weren't they? Match. For anybody who doesn't remember, they were the cheerleaders, weren't they? I do, and I, I remember particularly, um, you know, when that first season happened, the thing that that used to gall me more than anything was was that we didn't have all day drinking then so you know you'd have to know someone with a subscription to go and watch the match <laughs> but you'd get to the pub on a sunday you'd watch they'd chuck you out at three o'clock but you'd still have watched two hours of build-up but never get to see the match yeah so 
in the World Cups then, because going back to Jimmy Hill again, was it Euro 96 when Jimmy Hill wore a, a, a St. George Cross dicky bow? Remember that one? Oh, possibly. It was just, it was one step away from the thing, you know, spinning around, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did, they actually kept Jimmy Hill for a long time, didn't they, the BBC? And I'm going to come back to a point on this in a minute, because he did, he, he lasted well into the new wave of, he kept being wheeled out, didn't he? Even with a new wave of pundits like Hanson and everybody. Yeah, they got. Um, they, I think Des took over the um, the presenting duties in about '86, I mm. think, and then uh, they turned Jimmy into a pundit. I think they wheeled him out largely for international matches and let let um, Hansen from '92 uh, onwards, Lineker, Trevor Brooking do the domestic stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, they kept him around. He had that double act with Venables, which sort of reinvigorated BBC um, mm. TV when uh, Venables was sat by Spurs. Um, so yeah, they, they kept him around. I think to, at least till the '98 World Cup, and even then, you know, he 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 got a gig on Sky after that, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, wasn't the? Uh, I think I remember him at the. This might be another false memory thing, but the '98 World Cup didn't he get heavily criticised for um, when Romania um, played a game and they all bleached their hair. And he was suggesting it's a great idea for identification purposes. Yeah, he said, was that he, Jimmy he, Hill? He, yeah, it was Jimmy Hill. He went on a big, long monologue about how if you're looking down at the ball surrounded by players and a flash of yeah. blonde is in the corner of your eye, just that yeah. like half a percent of advantage is what you might need at this level. But, I think, but wasn't, I sort wasn't of remember that, was that, was that Euro 2000? Yeah, maybe it was. It, it was. Yeah, it was. It was either the '98 World Cup or Euro 2000 or something. It, it was definitely late vintage um, Jimmy Hill. But I do remember at the time thinking a wee bit that although although Hill had kind of become well, kind of had completely become a caricature of himself. At least he was always trying to think. You know, he was coming at things from a new angle. That new angle may well have been 99 times out of 100 completely preposterous, but. At least he was sort of doing it. He didn't just sort of rock up, uh, and you know, or phone it in. He was he was thinking about, um, you know, trying to say something that may or may not be interested. It I was mean, he, it was France '98, Scott. You were right, by the way. Right. Yeah, it was. I I, I don't know. I mean, this is. It, I would have liked to have seen more of Hill in his in his sort of seventies pomp. I think um, it's a sort of shame that I grew up with him when he'd. When he kind of jumped shark a bit. Yeah, I want to see him in the beard period. But I do agree yeah. with you. I don't think he was as bad. Jazz years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think he was as... In a way, he was... I put him in the same sort of boat as Plum, like Eamon Dunphy in Ireland, or even... And he was certainly better than the likes of Robbie Savage now and stuff like that, who just says things just to be awkward and to wind people up. He just he genuinely thought he had a point to make. And, and even if he disagreed with him, there seemed to be some sense to what he said most of the time, Jimmy Hill. And he was a, a constant for years and years and years, wasn't he? I think that's an easy thing to forget. So that was Jimmy Hill. I like the kind of peripheral characters uh, or peripheral presenters. My probably my all-time favourite is Tony Gubber, <laughs> mainly because he, he well he looked like the white bit off a of spring onion. <laughs> and uh, and I always wonder what it must be like to. The, 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 I'm sure there's a sitcom to be written about the life of somebody like Tony Gubber, who never quite makes it to the top level of commentator. And I suppose there must be dozens of people like him. I'm Tony Gubber. 
Yeah, yeah, it'll be something like that, wouldn't it? Where he's desperate to get a big job, but he just keeps getting the fourth tier highlights every week and an occasional job presenting the darts from the lakeside, which is mainly his sort of job, wasn't it? He died recently, didn't he, Tony Cooper? Was it two years ago? Yeah, yeah I, think. I think so. Yeah. He he was famously behind the um, behind the goal, wasn't he? When uh, Whiteside scored that goal, you were talking about in '85. Was and he really? As I think as a, a, as a closet United fan, you can see him actually celebrating. Um, <laughs> well, that's <great. laughs> when, when Whiteside scores the goal. <laughs> that's amazing. While we're talking about ITV, then the um, there's the whole issue about regional television and regional coverage. Now, the weird thing is, you suddenly mentioned, we mentioned El- Elton Wellesby at the beginning with the match. A lot of people know Elton Wellesby from the big match. You see, I grew up in a Granada region. So basically, Elton Wellesby was omnipresent in my life in terms of sports coverage <laughs> and general regional football coverage. He now, if you, if you want to find him now, he basically just spends his time on Twitter being, Twitter being a bit of a misogynist about female commentators, which is, I don't know if it's disappointing or expected or what. I don't know, to be honest. But that's t- that tends to be where you can find cool. him these days. But um, so for me, there was always the Granada match and stuff like that, which always had Elton Wellsby on it. So then when he kind of graduated to doing uh, the big match, and then he also graduated to doing, did he do part of the World Cup coverage for ITV as well? I don't remember that. I can't remember what years that was. Yeah, I think he took the lead role in 1990, and it was it was by 94 that they I think they'd started to ease him out. Um, he him, and they replaced him with Matt Lorenzo. It was of course a resounding success, wasn't he? So oh, in the in the bunker. Yeah, the Dallas bunker. bunker. I mean, to be fair, that wasn't their fault, was it? When they were put in there, but um, <laughs> yeah. So the reason so that was us. You mentioned something about Scottish television, Scott. Um. Well, no, it was just the the sort of um. I used to love that there was something very exotic about I you know I lived in the south of England and like southern and then TVS and Meridian was always terrible for 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 regional football when they did it themselves they had this guy called Andy Stegel who was a sort of um you know like a Lenny Bennett look alike <laughs> uh, just all, all, all sort of like you know tight curls and white teeth he was a, a uh, yeah it was very strange um but yeah, so we, so we usually in our region used to get like all the you know the big match LWT stuff blah blah blah. But there was something lovely when like my family would send down you know video cassettes, you know if there'd been a big brouhaha in the old firm game or something, and suddenly you saw how like Scottish or Grampian did did football, and it was very much you know and, and the fact that you wouldn't see Rangers v Celtic. Um, on British TV, they may they may show the goals uh, very quickly in football focus. Um, you would you would get the Scottish Cup final highlights at halftime when the FA Cup final was on, but other than that, there was no chance. So there was something quite um, there was something quite fun about that that's sort of been lost a little bit. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's the same thing for me that in, in a wider sense, it sort of ruins. Um, modern world cups is that we go into the world cup now we we know pretty much all the players that are going to be at the world cup we've seen them all on satellite tv you know you can't put the genie back in the box but we're never going to get that the thrill of that josimar moment where we're thinking who the hell is this guy where has he come from why is he so good and why haven't i heard of him but you know we've lost that so yeah, yeah that kind of went i went a bit off piece there but yeah scottish football 
What was Yorkshire television like back then, Rob? Well, I mean, much to uh, the chagrin of, uh, and in fact, anger of Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday fans, it was dominated by by Leeds. Um, that I mean, they dubbed it Leeds TV, and to such an extent that, infamously, when when Wednesday won the the League Cup in in uh, ninety one, uh, uh, or was it ninety two, that they immediately cut straight away. They didn't do the post match at all, and they went straight to War of the Monster Trucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and hence a Wednesday fanzine was was born. I mean, the odd thing about it was that, you know, because you'd only get, um, I mean, Yorkshire's a, a big enough region, mm. um, in a sort of, once um, we had Keith Macklin did the commentary for a while, then Martin Tyler did it, and then uh, Fred Dynage took over the... Um, Took Fred Dynage from Howe took over the the presentation, and he had Derek Dugan with him, which didn't really make a great deal of sense. But they would always uh, um, they would always focus on on you know they have one main match, and then they may have highlights from everywhere else. So even you know when Leeds were doing well, um, you know it, my impression always was it would be like you know Leeds United are taking on Manchester United. Uh, it took on Manchester United yesterday, but first to Millmore, and then they do like Rotherham versus Crewe or something for like forty minutes. But but having spoken to other fans of Yorkshire football clubs, that they, they would they would maintain that that was a completely um, you know a, a wrong assessment that it was always Leeds as far as they were concerned. It's a bit um, like press coverage in Wigan. No matter how well Wigan Athletic do, the first four pages of the back page section are all Wigan Rugby League. It's something that they get very, very upset about, Wigan Athletic fans. But I think one of the things that Scott was saying there about, you know, the Josie Bar moment, I think there was always that that sense as well that certainly um, from when you were looking at ITV coverage of the World Cup, you would hear voices that you'd never heard before. So you would hear, mm-hmm. you know, Jerry Harrison or, or, or Hugh Johns or, or, you know, even Roger Malone, you know, you'd, 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 for the first time. And you'd have to wait, you know, three or four years before you'd hear them again. I mean, I wonder... John Helm was known to us, but I wonder what what people who'd never listened to Yorkshire TV or seen Yorkshire TV must have thought of his uh, his uh, Socrates moments in the in the 1982 World Cup, where he managed to get you know he managed to elongate the e the, the final vowel to, over a, about 12 seconds. It was remarkable. <laughs> I always loved John, I always loved John Helm. He was again one of my favourite peripheral sort of characters in football television. Was a uh, John Helm. Let's talk about some early satellite. You mentioned before, um, we, we mentioned a bit before about NFL coverage, about early satellite. See, a lot of people kind of, I suppose, will remember that early satellite started with the first Premier League deal in 1992, but of course it didn't, did it? Because they were showing random Serie A games and, and all sorts before that, weren't they? With What was that show that had Brian Glanville as the as the pundit and he'd go off on 27-minute monologues using incredibly long words that nobody understood? I have no idea. I mean, I didn't have access to satellite TV back then, but I do know that, that it started off with Hansen, didn't it? They'd show a few Serie A games, and Hansen, that's where he got his break after he retired, being a studio pundit. Um, and I think they still used um, Trevor Francis and Ray Wilkins as the as the co-commentators who would later go on to, to Football Italia. Um, it seems likely that they would have invited Glanville along to be in the... Uh, in the uh, in the studio because I mean he was one of the few people who used to write about Italian football, um, but I, I'm pretty sure they also had some World Cup, sorry, some FA Cup um, 
uh, deal as well in the early days. Certainly the Squareal people rather than yeah, Sky. I think BSB had the. I remember watching the the famous Everton Liverpool four all, the precursor to Dalgleish resigning. That was on uh, BSB because I remember going round like the one person that I knew whose family had a squareal, so we could watch <laughs> so, so we could watch a game. Um, yeah, and it was all sort of squirreled away. And there was a. I mean, I think really early satellite there was. Again, like I, th- I vaguely remember a friend of my dad's giving us, lending us a, a videotape of Dutch football that had been on Super Channel or something like that. When you could only get this sort of thing in like s- strange places like Swindon, there were li- there, there were little <laughs> spots around the country that for some reason had had cable TV. This is kind of before before Murdoch had kind of got properly involved. And so we would watch, you know, see what PSV and Ajax were doing, and have no idea of the, of you know, what the state of play was in the title race or who any of these players were or anything. But it, again, it was just super, super exotic. Well, the kind of big thing that people remember is when, of course, they got that big Premier League deal in 1992, and that point you made about the NFL. I remember reading something about how they went. Sky sent their producers all around the world, particularly to America, looking at coverage of every single sport on television from everywhere to try and pick up. And that's why I th- I'm pretty sure Sky were the first people to put the clock in the top left-hand corner and the score permanently mm. on the screen. Because remember what it used to be like back then when you were just... You had no idea when the game was actually going to end. There was just the whistles happening all the time. And it was just... I suppose in some ways it added, it added to the drama, but... You just can't imagine now watching a game on television and not really knowing what the score was unless you've been unless you've been paying attention and not knowing how long is left. That's something another thing other people will never understand, I suppose. Um, but it was amazing that there was a lot of pushback to that at the time. You know, having a having a constant on-screen graphic, people. Yeah. You know, there were some people who went ballistic about this. I I remember sort of thinking, nah, this is kind of all right. It's quite cool. And it, again, that sort of American thing. It felt, yes, it was brash, but it was it was new and it was exciting. Wow. And I mean, I was probably the right age to, you know, still keep quite an open mind about it. But I sort of remember, like, my dad had no truck with it. It was just like, oh, you know, you don't need that. I can re- I can remember the score. Yeah, I remember <laughs> my, my sort of see his point, but it, yeah, as you say, the, the time was kind of handy. My mate, he um, was one of the first person I knew to get Sky and pay for the sport, so we all piled round to his house for the first game, which was the um, was the Forest game, wasn't it? And um, and, and and we were I remember I would have been sixteen, and we were kind of giggling. Because of all the whooshes and the kabangs and the kapows. Because literally, yeah. as they, they did a kind of, for the replays on Sky, I don't know if you remember, they did the box used to pull away, it used to fold, like slide out with a <laughs> whoosh as it kind of went off. It was, and it, we were literally. The word, sort of, didn't the word goal sort of flash in about 200 different fonts in, <laughs> in, in one second? That, I remember yeah. the whooshes and, and everyone going, and everyone being. Because we were used to, you know, as excited as it got, like you said, Rob, was the ITV being a little bit too brash, maybe. But this was just, <laughs> this was just from another, literally from another world when we started watching it. So that and and again, a lot of people, like your point, um, 
Scott, about people being a bit sniffy about Sky's custody. There is something about this kind of interloping thing in Britain with somebody has taken something off the BBC that the BBC, by all rights, should have. And nobody ever seems to apply any kind of value to the BBC about how they've ever treated sport or how they mm. want... You know what I mean? There's, remember when they lost Test Cricket and everyone said this is a disgrace? It's like, have you ever tried to watch Test Cricket on the BBC? They cut away to some shit race every 20 minutes. You know, they, they'll, they'll turn it off at the least possible opportunity yeah. and, they, and their filler is terrible. You know, there's something... The same could be said about all of the sports coverage, I think, really. So the, the, we can have a go at Sky, but I think there is something about the strange British thing about the default setting is the BBC and we need very good explanations as to why they don't get things. Well, I mean, the, the one thing about Sky, and I've I've never really been one to knock it either, um, is they, you know, at least they took, a, took sports seriously. Hmm. And, and the BBC did in there, you know, I said earlier, you would have someone like David Coleman would, would be a very serious presenter and, 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 and treat the... You know, the BBC used to treat the Olympics, for example, in a very even-handed manner. That <laughs> do, they, do you remember those kind, days? Good God, yeah, yeah. they kind of don't now. But um, but yeah, the you know the cricket would be on for ten minutes, and then it would be you know they'd be cutting away to trivial nonsense like the news. <laughs> but you know, you either show it or you don't, and you know Sky did that, and they took things. You know, they took football seriously. I remember everyone, like, well, you know, just the amount of abuse that Andy Gray took with the tactics table. And it yes. was seen as this, like, sort of ludicrous, uh, you, you know, just completely over-egging the pudding, a complete affectation, very American, blah, blah, blah. But um, But it looks, you know, it looks very tame now. And, in fact, they were, I reckon they were a, the best part of twenty years ahead of their time with with that sort of stuff before before tactics were taken really seriously on programs like Match of the Day. And I so. think I think Andy Gray was the first person to bring out a tactics book, or one of the first ones I can think of. Because I remember his was it Flatback Four. His book was called that was yeah. out quite early. Because do you remember that Rob? Because he was and he was seen as you know the authority on tactics, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, we certainly mid 90s that that would have come out um i remember he did a launch for it um and came to sports pages where i was working at the time um and i think it was before the the time that he you know that he was earning the huge um salary that he ended up earning and the time when you know he was a hugely recognized figure outside of football um so i mean he he was he was very personable he was he was great to to the people who queued up to, to see him um and it is a fine book actually you know which is there are several things is that 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 you tell people about certain books that that's a good book andy townsend's autobiography um mm. that he wrote in 1994 uh, with um with paul kimmage and because of the way that townsend is perceived because of his uh, you know not for me cliveness on uh, on itv <laughs> that, that that people you know tend to be shocked that he but it's a, it's a remarkable book um it's well written and it's very insightful about what it's like to be a professional footballer um but yes, Gray with his sorry, Gray with his tactics table. It it did seem as though it was, you know, it, it, it was nerdery that this was this was something that could only be possibly you know loved by coaches um, and, and people who took the game far too seriously. Which is I don't want point. to understand this game I'm watching. What on earth are you playing <laughs> yeah. at? 
Well, well, it's that it's that old sort of British fear of the expert, isn't it? Yes, yes, very, very it's, true. It still still burns today. And in football now, we've got the the biggest fear I have is the plethora of experts that won't stop banging on about it when I just want to talk about you know Brian Clough having a go at John Motson twenty years ago. Um, <laughs> And of course, Sky introduced Monday night football. You mentioned before Super Sunday, I did the theme tunes of Monday night football before, which again, in America, that had been going for years, hadn't it? Monday night gridiron football. And they brought yeah. in, and I can remember, you might remember, you may remember this, Rob, as a Leeds fan. I remember in 1994, I used to work in a supermarket and my shift finished at eight o'clock and I worked on a Monday night and I pegged it home because the live game that night was Leeds, Oldham versus Leeds, at Boundary Park, and I pegged it home from where I was working. It took me about six minutes to run home, and I got in. We were already 1-0 down because Gary McAllister had scored in the second minute. And I sat there kind of panting and sweating because I'd legged it all the way through, and it took us... Darren Beckford came off the bench and scored in the 86th minute, finished one all. But yeah, that was, again, a really big memory about Sky and football in my mind is that is that game. Did you remember that game at all, Rob? I don't off the top well, of my head. How could you, what do you mean? How could you not remember? There's such a massive game as that on a Monday night. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we take our Premier League years very seriously at Oldham. I'm sure you've uh, you've had a few more years in there to get used to it. Well, I think it was probably I was I would have been drunk. I think watching it on a Monday night. <laughs> I mean, that was the other good thing about Sky, of course, that people got very sniffy about a lot of it. But it opened up the chance for the smaller clubs who never got a look in on IT, you know, and it was maybe 15 games on ITV over the season. And it was always matches between the big five. And I remember once on ITV, there was a huge brouhaha when they picked, I think they picked Norwich v Millwall or something like that. And, and people were going, what the hell? Like, no one would be interested in this match. And I think it was like three two after ten minutes or something. They've gone, This is you know, this is the greatest game I've I've seen on live TV for years. But 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 seeing teams like that was you know, you would mm. hardly ever it was only really when the FA Cup came round that, that would happen on old school terrestrial. So when Sky came on, you suddenly had this it sort of opened it up a bit. I mean, I know there's also arguments about the Premier League and how it's become more of a Close shop at the top because of the money and blah blah blah. But it, in in terms of being able to see, you know, Oldham Athletic on live tail, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was an exciting new thing at, at, at the time as well. Yeah, it was, and I think there was actually something written in the deal that every single club would be on live twice a season at least. I think I'm sure it was something like that. Was, yeah. There was some some part of the deal that it had to be, it had to be like that. And of course, that point about the build-up, we laugh about it, but. If you go back to ITV, for example, who had the big match with Elton Wellsby and all that kind of stuff, I mean, you'd literally, at the big match, they'd cut to the ground about 90 seconds before the ball kicked off, wouldn't they? So to actually see what Sky were doing, the only time we saw anything like that was on the FA was was the FA Cup, which again was all day. But you either had all day, like the FA Cup, or maybe 10 minutes on BBC with the FA Cup uh, earlier rounds. But then you had the big match on a Sunday, which was literally, hello, welcome to Goodison Park. Here are the teams. Over to the commentary team. So it, it was a genuine, quite a big shot that Sky would do that point you made about taking sports seriously, but also just giving the time to it, really. But it didn't last very long, did it? I mean, I think they, they did it for a season, maybe two seasons. And I think that, that, that 
everyone mentioning the fact that you know they could have got the Dagenham Girl Pipers in instead of Sky Strikers and you know that sort of thing that that this spurious entertainment that you were shown for no reason and there was only so much padding that they could get away with I think and I think they took it they took the criticism and cut the show down to a, a far more manageable hour um but I don't think they had many double headers on Sundays. They they would have one match mm, in that first round of rights, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas today, obviously, because they they you know they go from one to the next, it it tends to be you know more focused, more more coherent than, than it was. And I remember that came on quite a few years later. That whole shift everything to half twelve on a Saturday it was almost. I think they were the first contracts. Almost like they didn't want to do that from my memory. And then it came to it later. I remember a When Saturday Comes cartoon, and it was a cartoon of the Premier League fixture list going into a shredder with Sky Scheduling written on it, <laughs> showing it being shredded. But that was a few years later from memory, but I could be wrong. Am I wrong? I think you're right. I think it's in the second deal that they started showing. Yeah. It may have been the third deal that they started showing games on, on you know, diverse days. So, yeah, so yeah, and they, mean, start, go on, they go started on. messing around with like pay-per-view as well, didn't they? For a, for a while. Oh, I'd was, forgotten that, yeah. It was like Premiership Plus or whatever it was called. And then obviously the ITV digital farce. Um, yeah, it, it, it all became a bit fragmented for a while and, and difficult. And then, but, but, but then the, again, the cap was out the, was out the bag and, so you know, once you played one game at half twelve on a Saturday and yeah. another at half five, it's ah well we'll we'll just do it now. I mean, all of this stuff we're talking about, um, we're kind of ignoring the fact that quite a lot of this, you know, moving around fixtures really pisses off the people who actually go to the games, mm. which is a huge thing. But you know, if you're an armchair fan, you know, from that perspective, it's kind of. Well, yeah, it's great. Yeah, top top five fans go mad, don't they? Because th- I'm sure one year United fans worked out they'd had one game kick off at three o'clock on a Saturday in the past two and a half months of the season or something like that. It was a real <laughs> problem. You know, it, it is a nightmare, isn't it? Have you? Do you? Are you genuinely positive about Sky's coverage? Are you, are you and the, the changes that they brought? Well, I. I... Like Scott, as a match-going fan, as I used to be, um, uh, and much more infrequently now because of work and and uh, got a young family. But it it and being marooned two hundred miles away, um, <laughs> is it, uh, it? It's been, you know, it's been a real boon in terms of being able to watch it. But obviously, the, the price of the subscription, the disruption it causes to to, to match-going fans, and and. Um, this general sense of it being commoditized, as it always was, but you know the, the, the spurious marketing terms like suddenly we we we're getting Grand Slam Sunday three or four years ago, and everything you know, became where, a derby because you were within seventy five yes. miles of each other. Yeah, yeah. Every every match had to have some sort of portentous theme music over the top. You know, as, as a <laughs> you know not quite Prokofiev or something, but they would they would cut away and and everything had to be. In, I think I think they have got away from the fact that that Gray and, and Keys particularly couldn't, for the first five years, admit how boring and terrible some of the games were. And I think that that, that, that they have they have switched from trying to sell it all the time. Um, I think now it's as good as it's ever been um, in terms of the the, the offering, and, and that's perhaps because it's streamlined. But you know, I, I still have 
regrets that live matches aren't on ter- terrestrial TV. Um, I, I do wonder how it would have gone had ITV got that contract in '92 if, if Sugar hadn't hadn't instructed Murdoch to blow them out of the water. But given the fact that the ITV were were in hock to the to the so-called Big Five for, for, for much of the late '80s and, and wanted. You know, along with Everton, Tottenham, Liverpool, uh, Man United, and Arsenal, essentially wanted to, to take all the money that, that was coming out of TV football, televised football. I do think Sky has helped. You know, has stopped that happening, has stopped them stealing all the money. But they have, you know, they they've managed to do it in another way through through ticket prices, through through attendances, through through marketing and worldwide rights, of course. Yes. Yeah, I think if you look at some of the plans that were mooted, say, by ITV back in the mid-50s, when ITV just first turned up in the early 60s, in some ways, we've kind of got away with it a bit lightly with, you know, the, there was a rebrand and that was <laughs> that was kind of the product was left alone otherwise. But back in the 50s, they were talking about, you know, whipping 10 teams out of the you know the the ten biggest teams in the in the league at the time, and they would all play under floodlights, which were also new and fancy, on TV in midweek, and there wouldn't be a football league anymore. Um, it's kind of you, you know there was a real sort of sense that the whole thing was going to fall apart because of TV. You know this stretches way back, so in one sense the Premier League was always inevitable, but it. It sort of at least it didn't change things. I mean, it changed things a lot, and a lot of it not for the better. But it could have also been a hell, hell of a lot worse. It could have been, yeah. Well, of course, the rugby league did have the BBC floodlit trophy, so they were again first movers in sport again. <laughs> rugby league. <laughs> yeah. So, um, God bless Eddie Waring. God bless Wasn't Eddie he behind all that? He was. Yes, he was behind lots of things. Was Eddie Waring? Right, time is rumbling on, I suppose. So let's have a talk about some. Shows. I wanted to think about some shows that were considered to be, well, quite frankly, rubbish. And were they actually <laughs> that rubbish? We did the theme tune at the beginning of Satan Greavesy, mm. the original theme tune. Cops a lot of sticks, Satan Greavesy, doesn't it, Scott? Yeah. Is it deserved? I don't know. I just, I just kind of, I, I grew up enjoying it. Um, and then suddenly when I started reading magazines, like when Saturday comes and, you know, all this, in, you know, new intelligent um, football journalism. Pretty much to a man, they were all saying this is a terrible program, um, and it was. It, it, but the criticism always seemed to boil down to the fact that Greavesy would make a few slightly off-colour jokes about Scottish goalkeepers, you know, just keep repeating that joke every week, and the Saint would laugh a lot. <laughs> but it was, but it was kind of a nice. Uh, I always thought Saint and Greasy in its time slot, you know, started the weekend of sport. You got all the highlights from the from the week before. If there was any big news, it, it, occasional snippets from abroad, which was wow, you know, a, a, a different league. Um, and there was a generosity of spirit behind it, um, and you sort of felt that Saint and Greasy were very much. Uh, welcoming you in and explaining things, and I'm sure a lot of it hasn't dated well, but it seemed to be. You know, sometimes now when I watch programs, I'm sort of thinking, yeah, you're all. Um, 
you know, you're on the other side of like the the velvet rope, and I'm and I'm looking in on these, you know, amazing, famous professionals talking about stuff, um, and it sort of feels as a demarcation. Where Saint Lucia always sort of had a bit of, you know, inclusive warm. I think they'd, if, see, if they were around today, they'd be doing a podcast, wouldn't they? It'd be a lovely podcast, Satan Greavesy. You can listen to it on the way to work. <laughs> Greavesy with that lovely voice and his, and his sort of, that rhythm he had of speaking. You'd have to probably edit the same, as you said, belly laughing the whole time at everything that, <laughs> everything that he said. I think it's, I was a kid when it was on, really. So for me, it just seemed like these, I wasn't really sure when I first watched it, like you wouldn't be, who they were. Mm. And it was very hard to find out in some ways. I had to kind of ask me dad, and he told me how brilliant Greaves he was, and he remembers he said John being all right for Liverpool was the was the top bottom of his thing. Do you think Saint Greaves? Go on, Scott. Well, I was just going to say about well, on Saint Greaves, it was something that sort of happened organically. So it it wasn't someone in a in a meeting room somewhere at ITV thought, all right, we better give these two guys a job because they're from the same talent agency as blah blah, you know, someone else that they need. Um, you know, the Saint used to present on the bowl. Greavesy would come on every now and then um, to, you know, do a bit. And the public kind of liked the chemistry and it sort of just organically grew into into a double act by itself. And I think I think that showed as well. Yeah, there's something about that, actually, that they just seemed to... It was just nice to listen to them. <laughs> yeah, it's strange to note, though, that we saw them as... You see them as these old fogies and... Uh, the, at the time, they would have been in their early forties, you know, true, yeah, not yeah. not not far removed from from actually playing. And I think the the thing that the, the contrast between Satan Greasy and Football Focus was, was, was you know, is something that you felt that Bob Wilson. I mean, he was originally a school teacher, wasn't he? Uh, before he, um, well, while he was Arsenal goalkeeper. Um, but there was that element of, of, of that didactic, you know, he's talking to you, he's talking, he's informing you, he's instructive, and he's a lovely man, Bob Wilson, I'm sure. Mm. But but there was something, there was no irreverence about about the BBC coverage or the way that it, it, it portrayed the sport. Um, I think St. Greavesy at that time, and, you know, it's probably a laboured point, uh, how dire football's um, predicament was in the, in the early 80s. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but, they did bring a certain levity to to a game that seemed to be, you know, if not dying. Uh, that's what people would always talk about. They would talk about it dying. They would talk about it being in crisis all the time. And the violence, um, of, of course. And and uh, I think while yes, yeah, Scott says it, you know it, it's it's very difficult to watch now. At the time, it didn't seem so. Um, it seemed uh, it seemed well. It, it just seemed irreverent. It seemed fun. It seemed just as co- a contrasting. You only had two choices: you had Bob or you had Satan Greaves. It wasn't as if you know there were twelve yeah. things you could you could watch. So yeah, so maybe we think it's slightly harshly judged Satan Greaves for what it was, and take it for what it was. I suppose. I and think so. I think by the time that, that Skinner and Badil got their teeth into it, um, you know, for for many honourable reasons and. and you know, there was a, a, a sort of bland chumminess that, that seeped in post Italian ninety, I think, to it. But I, I mean, they never had the cruelty that Badil and Skinner, mm. you know, threw back at them and and to lots of other football figures. Interestingly, you know, um, Michael Robinson, the Liverpool and Republic of Ireland striker, who then went off and became a media 
football presenting superstar in Spain after he played for, I want to say Real Sociedad, but I could be wrong. But um, and he presented El Dia Después, which is the, um, which is the Spanish version of Match of the Day. Basically, means the day after, and he's a megastar there. And he was. I remember everyone was wanting to interview him loads about ten, twelve years ago. I think it's because suddenly people suddenly realised that this Scouse bloke was lighted up Spanish television, and everyone thought it was very interesting. But anyway, they went to speak to him, and he was like massively disparaging about British TV coverage. He said it was all absolutely awful. He said the only people who actually got covering football at all was Bedell and Skinner, in his opinion. Was that basically Ooh. they're the only ones who seem to understand that you have to bridge an emotional gap to the fans in some way. And they sort of did that. I haven't seen much of LD or Despois, so I don't know exactly how their highlights programme did that. But um, I think he said once that, that their, the Spanish programme showed... Once it showed a video, this is going back into like, you know, you're talking early 2000s, late 90s. They showed a video of an eight-year-old kid at a match somewhere and they just held the camera on him for two minutes and they showed that on the highlights package and that's the kind of point he was making, that four blokes sat around talking about something, misses that. And you do see more of that now on things like Match of the Day 2, don't you? Yeah. Much uh, shots of people crying in the crowd. I do, uh, that's sort of one thing that it, it crept into into football coverage sometime in the in the mid nineties. I'm guessing when Newcastle um, <laughs> th- threw away. Uh, well, yeah, were pi- let's say they were pipped to the title by <laughs> by United. And um, I'm sure we'll, that's another episode entirely. But yeah, and, sure. and then of course there was the um, the sort of Arsenal supporter celebration when. Mark Overmyer scored at um, Old Trafford and that mm. guy going wild. And there was all a sort of great innocence about it. But I've I've never quite liked that. I've never really got into that thing where they zone in on like some poor kid who's like, you know, just crying all the water out of his body because because he's seen his team lose in the last minute. I'm thinking he's, it's not fair on him. That happened it always to a makes poor me feel Arsenal like, kid the other week. Did you see that? And it became an internet meme, basically. Oh, the poor soul. Yeah. yeah. And it just kind of makes me there's my sort of um, latent fathering instinct, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but it's just, yeah, I, I'm thinking it's it's absolutely fine to watch, you know, the players, you know, sob and cry and the manager get, get upset and all that sort of thing. But, 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 you know, they're being paid to do it. While we talk about changes in approach and irreverence and the like, soccer AM. <laughs> which started in 1995. And honestly, when it started, I was, I was 18, 19 years old. So I imagine I was slap bang in the middle of their target demographic, loves football, got a Sky subscription, whatever. And honestly, even right from the off, I struggled to, and even now, I struggle to find the words to describe how much I despised and continue to despise that programme. <laughs> it was just so bad. <laughs> it felt like, well, it was basically TFI Friday for Saturday morning football. And like that ridiculous word techers that they invented, which then became a thing that everybody said. I am being a cantankerous old bastard now, I realise that. But honestly, I never, I never ever got it at all. And I'm younger than you two, so God knows what you two think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 
same here. I, I'd never got it. It seemed a strange mishmash of a show. When it first started, did it not have um, Terry from Brookside as one of the presenters? Um, and he, he used to go in goal for the penalty uh, shootout yes. um, competition. It, I, I mean, Lovejoy, obviously, was always going to great, you know, a, a, a so-called Chelsea fan uh, with that, that terrible grin um, and that smile that he had you know um, the way that he would commoditize and you know clash t-shirts or specials t-shirts you know turn them into you know things that had meaning to people and and they just became fashion accessories for him and and his Mm. his way of life i mean and the whole soccerette thing yeah god i've forgotten and they go are you married and she go no i'm single and they'd all cheer and if she said yeah I'm, i'm in a relationship they'd all boo and stuff, and it was just like this is minging, and that lasted, yeah. I think, until about three years ago. God, yeah, Scott, yeah. Do you, do you want to throw some more vitriol on on <laughs> Soccer AM? I, I mean, I just think everyone knows what it is and what they've done. <laughs> just, just going to leave it at that. Okay, no. we'll finish on the last one that we'll talk about is the Premiership on ITV. We mentioned it earlier oh can i sorry can you can throw another one in yeah you need to well i was just gonna say because i'm guessing that rob wants to talk about this as well is hold the back page yeah go explain to people what hold the back page is if you didn't know do you want to start rob well if you've ever seen sunday supplement and if it's been your misfortune to see sunday supplement um it when Sky first started, it had a precursor. It had, it had a, a program that used to be on a Friday night called Hold a Back Page. Uh, it, was, um, it was hosted by Brian Woolnough of The Sun. And it was just in the dying days of those, those, those older guys who you could tell were brought up in newsrooms where, where the odd punch-up was, was you know, a weekly occurrence. <laughs> so to have them in on a Friday night uh, talking about the Saturday morning papers, so it would be a post-pub sort of thing. It'd be on at ten o'clock on Sky Sports News or, news, or even eleven o'clock. Um, actually, I don't even know if Sky Sports News existed then, but on one of the Sky channels. Um, and it was the most. It, it was you couldn't stop watching it because they were so feisty. They were so confrontational with each other and so competitive with each other. People like um, you know Joe, Love, Joe Lovejoy, who was um, from the Independent then, I think, and Steve Curry of the express um or the mail um you know joe melling uh, p- people like that um and rob shepherd not that you know i've got anything that they didn't have anything massively um you know insightful to say but there was an element of danger to it every every week whereas the supplement is a is a show that's reactionary. It, it 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 looks at what's happened on the Saturday, tries to throw it forward to the Sunday. It's all very well mannered. It, it's it, apart from when Castronakis uh, is on, um, they 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 have the, the the comedy props. I'm not sure if they were actually drinking during Hold the Back Page or before the Hold Back Page, but it always felt like <laughs> drink had been taken. Um, there was an element. It, it was it was like After Dark. You know, it was it yeah. was actually shot on a round table. Uh, with you know just a single spot illuminating these these feisty people who, who you know would have to go to games the following morning and, uh, and Brian Wolno definitely he did look like an antagonist from an episode of the Sweeney didn't he and that kind of helped 
Well, I, I mean, I think drink was definitely taken. And, and, and that's, it's not a criticism. It's, you know, more power to the railroad. I remember one evening um, on, on one episode of that program where um, they were talking about Ian Wright. And I think it was whether he was, should still be picked for England or not, whether he was still good enough to, to get a cap. And, and Willie Woolnow launched a, a a big defense of him saying he was he was really really good and rob shepherd just interrupted him and said something like and it was like i don't know why you're sticking up for him you know that every time you leave the room he refers to you as bison head <laughs> and uh, and we'll know just like obviously Willow was the presenter so you know normally nominally in charge of this conversation and just shot him a glance and pointed at once and just said leave it Leave it, <laughs> and it was. Uh, <laughs> and Shepard knew he'd obviously overstepped a mark, and it was just. I think they must have cut to a, a break very quickly after that. But I just remember this. It was just a beautiful bit of television about kind of about nothing and everything. <laughs> it just encapsulated that Fleet Street at that time, and the, you know there should be more of it. And you know, yeah, as Rob says, now they're just like sort of reining in their opinions because they're worried about what someone might say on, on Twitter. It might flash up on the screen ten minutes later. Joe Lovejoy was... was still... Sean Custis will go, oh, I didn't mean to offend anyone. Yeah, uh, Joe Lovejoy was still on Twitter until relatively recently and he, he gave it loads on there. He was always quite good value, actually. Uh, yeah, so that was Hold the Back Page. <laughs> the much-missed, the much-missed yeah. erstwhile Hold the Back Page. <laughs> They should bring it back. They should, in, 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 a lot of the programs that are on TV now would be vastly improved if people were tanked up. Yeah, never mind Premier League. No, never mind Premier League years on Sky Sports Five or whatever it is. Let's have some reruns of older back page. <laughs> like if I got what, news for you this week, they what, were talking what, about such yeah. thing. Or bloody Mary's on Sunday sub. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's fine. Just get a bit more energy. Get a bit of a bit of, thing, bit of spice you know. in there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the Premiership on ITV then. That one, it did seem like a seriously cultural, in, cultural nightmare when the BBC lost match of the day. It was like one of the greatest national crises that we've ever had. It was like the three-day week in football form. It felt like when they went and everyone thought, "Let's play it." They moved it to. The story was that if you don't remember, ITV got the Premiership in. I can't remember what year it was now, but uh, they the highlights package and they put it on at half seven on a Saturday evening and it was on for about an hour and 40 minutes and somebody calculated in the first episode that of that hour and 40 minutes only something like 47 minutes of it was actually football because a combination of adverts and, and people banging on about stuff and of course to men- you mentioned Andy Townsend earlier Rob Andy Townsend was in the tactics truck and I don't think he's ever, he's ever recovered from it has he? That, he hasn't that, has he? Uh, he probably just honestly did a job <laughs> he's never been allowed <laughs> to forget it yeah, he was essentially doing what what Gray was doing on on Sky, but they stuck him in a truck. Yeah, and that's, that's it. It'll be why, on his gravestone. I always imagine that in the in the production meeting, why did nobody go? Why why does he have to be in a truck again? <laughs> I'm not following the truck thing. No, suddenly <laughs> <laughs> went. Oh, it'd be great truck, amazing. Yeah. Was it just for alliteration? Was it to do with the tactics? Tactics what? Come, where, where can we put him? Tactics, tactics, truck. Tactics, tractor. No, that don't work. Tactics, no, no. truck. <laughs> then he's, was it that he was meant to be, because he had access to the actual, to driving 
the video. He obviously didn't, but so it looked like he was close to the action and kind of rewinding and fast-forwarding things. That's the only thing I can think of. He was in a production truck, so he could, I don't know, somehow be driving his own replays, which he, which of course they do now with the massive iPad on the wall, don't they? But you don't see, But back then it was it was amazing. Des Lynham fronted it, didn't he? Mm. And there's a point about. Do you remember when England f- football appointed Fabio Capello? And of course he yes. failed. And everyone went, well, oh, well, if, if Capello can't do it, we must be we must just be shit then. Yeah. And and it's almost like since Capello, everyone everyone, even the press before tournaments now just kinda of goes, Oh well, I'm sure this won't go very well. It was like a sort of a really seminal moment, the Capello years, I think. And there's something about Desline of an ITV in that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he ever suited ITV's, you know, approach and their format. I mean, obviously he went uh, when they got the the rights. He obviously went for a huge pay rise as well. But the thing about Des, even the uh, even the annoying things, those bits where he, you know, we, we forget for all his his off the cuff brilliance that he was, you know, prone to to reading Kipling at the end of uh, uh, <laughs> at the end of uh, you know disappointing defeats or or you know tennis matches or that banter with Jerry Williams that people loved um, that he had at the tennis but he he never seemed to find his rhythm on ITV whereas on the BBC I think he had he had an important role um, particularly in in the later years with with Lineker and Hansen um, Jimmy Hill, Martin O'Neill, in that he was a non-professional. He was a broadcaster, so he could he could tell you that Ginola was great, whereas you know Hansen would accuse him of a diabolical laxity of you know of of purpose in terms of his defensive play, and you know the other ex-pros would do that, and he could just say no. Whereas I think no, you know he he could represent you know, that, that sense of romance, that sense of passion for the game. Whereas on ITV, I don't think he ever had time to actually, he never had time to be dead. Why buy Des if you're not going to give him time to yeah. do what he does? That, that, well, was my, that was my point. If Des couldn't save ITV, it's almost like let's just write it off permanently, isn't it? But go on, Scott. Well, yes, the we're back to the adverts again, really. Um, ultimately, jiggers it for ITV. Because, because Lynham never had that space where he could sort of riff, a little bit of silence every now and then. You know, the thing where, like, Miles Davis says, it's not about the notes you play, it's about the notes you don't play. Mm. And, the, and, and, the, and, like, Des was a bit like that. He was, like, you know, if he wanted to take the halftime chat slow, <laughs> he he could have, you know, a few theatrical pauses. Whereas on ITV, you've got to pack everything into, you know, one minute, 30 seconds, and then it's off for a off for a break. I think the other problem the Premiership had, and it was just kind of bad luck, really, was that they they started the program um, kind of slap bang in the middle of Manchester United's sort of post treble pomp. So they were running away with the title. Like the title was over by January. It was kind of like Man, you know, Man City this year. You just sort of think, well, it's just it's not much fun. So they didn't really have a they didn't really have much to sell for a while, did they? No, I don't think they did, and and there was something about they they cataclysmically misjudged the viewing public's capacity to watch highlights football early on a Saturday evening. Nobody, yeah. you know, it had been so ingrained to being on at whatever it was, gone ten o'clock at night on a Saturday, that people just couldn't get their head around it. Nobody, you know, people do base their viewing around things they know when they're going to be on. It's no secret, is it? So trying to shift an entire footballing culture to watch something at seven o'clock on a Saturday just 
was never going to work. He didn't last very long either. They pushed it back to R10 quite quickly. But I mean, the point and the issue when people had a go at BBC for, sorry, for the rights being given to ITV, people forget that match of the day at that time was sometimes coming on at like 20 to 12 at night on a Saturday. The BBC, again, going back to that point around, everyone thinks the BBC should get these things by default, but they treat these things quite shabbily when they get quite complacent. They did, exa- mm. they did exactly the same with match of the day, so they kind of reap what they sow there. Of course, they got it back in the end because ITV managed to balls it up so badly. <laughs> and is it was it as big that bigger balls up? Do you think when you look back? I think as ever with ITV, they tend to play it safe. You could you could tell from, I mean, safe in in the sense of of, of it all being uh, almost through a, a W one A approach of of having everything, um, everything you know endless meetings about everything so they got the biggest band in the world you two to do the to do the to do the theme tune you know it was they got coca-cola as a sponsor it was like it was so bland you know they they got barry venice you know who'd been on sky a bit they'd got they got ali mccoy's from from there was nothing from left field about their coverage at all they just played it all the way down the line and then they gave themselves that logistical nightmare of having to edit the game so quickly people who had actually gone to the match were were livid about the fact that they couldn't see the highlights if they were travelling back from somewhere. It's like, I mean, I can I can understand that they were trying to break new ground in terms of scheduling, but you know, just trying to break new ground in scheduling. What they should have been trying to do was trying to break new ground in terms of, of, of programming, if that was it. But they, it's just not the way that a commercial station was was prepared to go at the time. I think I, I think weirdly it was. Um, they almost tried to do too much. And it's kind of like match of the day or the old big match or whatever. It's such a simple format. It's it, it's a camera at a football ground and you show the football, you show the, show the goals, and then someone is an interview with a player and then a manager, and then you talk about the goals, move on to the next one. And that's kind of it. And the minute you start putting in tactics, trucks, and blah, because like, if you actually look at match, like modern match of the day now, it's pretty paired back to that basic format. They, you know, after that sort of, um, you know, trying to add loads of new things in the sort of 90s and early 2000s, we're sort of back to the, in in the same way that Sky tried to do their three-hour build-up and and realised after a while, you know what, let's bang, go in quite quickly, show the match, and it's the end. I mean, showing football on TV shouldn't be, that that difficult but like tv's always made like a real made it hard work for like the last 60 or 70 years and on that note (laughs) we will bring this episode to an end thank you very much rob and thank you very much scott for your time and your input i hope you've enjoyed it please get in touch with us and let us know what you think or if you've got any memories about old football on television then let us know I will finish us off by playing us out with, let's pick one. I'll play us out with the big match theme, Elton Wellsby period. See you, everybody. <laughs>